sorry. Uh, so uh, next would be management. Uh, so um, one can uh, split this into conservative medical and surgical aspects of management. Um, and the aims here uh, are ensuring a that uh, it's patient centered, it's holistic, and and it's typically achieved using an MDT approach. Um, so if we talk about conservative management aspects for now, um, so. The first thing to mention is patient education on their condition, but also what's really important are red flags for when they need to seek medical attention. So, for example, with stable angina, it would be chest pain at rest or crescendoing of the chest pain. So occurring on much less uh, minimal exertion and more frequently. Uh, one would also uh, educate patients on, on lifestyle changes that they can make. Um, so this can include moderate intensity exercise, uh, trying to optimize those uh, uh, modifiable risk factors aggressively. Uh, so smoking cessation, minimizing alcohol, uh, optimizing their diet, uh, treating diabetes, treating obstructive sleep apnea, another independent risk factor for worsening uh, stable angina and coronary artery disease. Um, so that's a flavor of the conservative management. Um, and then moving on to medical management. Um, so an antiplatelet uh, would be aspirin as, as first line. Uh, one would also introduce a statin, uh, A, if they have a raised cholesterol, or B, if their Q-risk score is greater than 10%. Uh, one would also prescribe PRN, uh, GTN spray, uh, if the patient was to develop uh, symptoms of chest pain. Uh, and then one can think about anti-anginal treatment. Uh, so the first line treatment would be a beta blocker or a non-hydropyridine calcium channel blocker. Uh, if chest pain, well, self, sorry, symptoms were to persist, uh, one can then combine a beta blocker with a dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker. Uh, and then after that, you're given some options. Um, so you can use uh, long-acting nitrates, uh, and then uh, classically, they're described as the others. Um, so that includes uh, evabridine, uh, a funny type uh, sodium channel blocker. And the uh, couple of key points with evabridine, uh, you need to be in sinus rhythm because it acts um, on the funny type sodium channels at the pacemaker. Um, so the, sorry, the sinoatrial node pacemaker. Uh, certain side effects to uh, kind of notes with evabridine, uh, it's a QTC prolonger. Uh, it can give uh, temporary luminous phenomenon um, and you can't be lactose intolerant when you take it. Uh, and it can also cause liver impairment. Uh, Renolazine is one of the others. Uh, it's a sodium channel blocker. Uh, the main kind of thing that, uh, to my mind that uh, I consider is it's a QTC prolonger. Uh, the advantage of it uh, is it has less of a blood pressure lowering effect. Uh, and nicarandil, a, a potassium channel activator, the main side effects to consider are it can cause a headache, it can cause oral ulcers, and it can be a, a blood pressure lowerer um, as well. And then, so that's kind of a flavor of the medical treatments. Um, and then finally, interventional or surgical options. So they're indicated here if, you're on two anti-anginal treatments, but symptoms persist, or if there's prognostically significant coronary artery disease, which has been identified from your investigations. So if you've done a CTCA and there's a left main stem or proximal LAD stenosis, um, it is indicated. 
if you've done a stressed cardiac MRI and there's greater than 10% of the myocardium that's affected, showing inducible ischemia. Uh, similarly, on a myocardial perfusion scan, um, if there's greater than 10% of the myocardium affected, on a stress echo, if uh, three out of the 17 segments show inducible ischemia, um, and the very uh, significant uh, kind of prognostic uh, factor is if there's left ventricular dysfunction uh, with identified coronary artery disease. Again, that may be another indicator uh, to uh, uh, have an interventional approach, which could include PCI or um, coronary artery bypass grafting. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really really exhaustive uh, uh, exhaustive lowdown of what one needs to know about management of uh, angina. <laughs> really good points about the renalazine uh, and the avidin. So those I really didn't know. Uh, so we, I think, just a, a kind of flavour to approaching uh, management of angina. I think you're right, conservative medical and surgical, um, and I think it's what you'd probably I mean, if you don't, if people don't already know, there's a lot of controversy about uh, interventional management of stable angina um, and whether it's that useful, um, both for patients' symptoms, uh, quality of life, and also whether it has any prognostic effect on mortality. And if anyone wants more reading, the Orbiter trial and the various editorials that have come out of that are uh, good areas to read on about uh, angina and what we should be doing about it. Uh, for an interview, for the sake of the interview, the things I'd mention are uh, absolutely the modifiable risk factors. I think we, I think you don't need to go on into much depth about it, but if you can just maybe say one thing. So I might say I think it's very important to first to educate the patient on what this, what having angina and coronary artery disease means, uh, what it could mean for the future, uh, and what we can modify. And so, for example, if their diet is an issue, I might put them in touch uh, with our local. Uh, cardiovascular nurses or nutritionists or if they've got anything local with their GPs and then I'd move on because you don't want to dwell too much but just show some level of understanding of specific things you can think about um, then, and then yeah exactly that I talk about management I think one just key thing to remember if you talk about dihydropyridine and non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers um, so beta blockers cannot be used with non-dihydropyridine non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers. Essentially, that's beta blockers and brapamil. Uh, beta blockers and diltiazem cannot be used together because there's a, an increased risk, of, increased risk of going into complete heart block. Um, so beta blockers can be used with amlodipine uh, as a dihydropyridine uh, calcium channel blocker, but uh, not the non-dihydropyridines. Uh, so beta blockers, fantastic to start with. They can lower the blood pressure. Amlodipine, fantastic uh, anti-angino, I think, and it has less of an effect on uh, dizziness and blood pressure than beta blockers. Uh, so that's one thing to note. And then I think you said really nice points about all the other medications. And I think if they're asking you questions on angina and medical management, uh, it probably won't be absolutely straightforward. So they might say, okay, the patient comes back and they're developing some dizziness or they're very bradycardic. What do you do next? So it's good just to know a few options. So ISMN um, or a long-acting which is a long-acting nitrate, will drop the blood pressure, uh, whereas, as you said, renalazine will have less effect. So it's just good to have that in your armory of things to switch switch back and forth to. Uh, and then, yeah, interventional management of angina. Uh, I think the key indication for interventional management of angina is prognostic disease, which is, yeah, 
as you mentioned, or uh, heart failure. And if you do it for a symptom benefit, uh, that's uh, more controversial, but yeah, it is, it is, it is done. Um, that's uh, only in those patients who absolutely got symptoms that cannot be controlled. Uh, this is one tidbit for angina, if you ever want to mention it, is for those patients that have got uh, ongoing angina, despite being fully revascularized, uh, there is this phenomenon, phenomenon of microvascular angina, uh, which cannot be treated with stents. And the only proven therapy, uh, which isn't widely available to help this, is something called a coronary sinus reducer. Uh, so as a absolute final last gasp thing you might want to say you say you know we can add interventional rubric if there are really no other options uh, and they've been fully, fully revascularized and still getting uh, very typical angina with no relief for medical therapy a coronary sinus reducer uh, is one thing that could be considered but the evidence is uh, limited with only one randomized control trial uh, but i'll leave that i'll leave that up to you but i think the important thing with angina i think as rahul says Cover the cover the basics, and then bring in one a few uh, a few tidbits for each section, um, that really make you stand you out as a five out of five candidate because this is an area where most candidates will know how should know how to manage stable angina. So it's really important to think about how you're going to uh, bring yourself to the fore and make yourself stand out because the examiners will have heard a lot of cardiac chest pain history and stand investigations. So if you can know a bit about which investigation and when. Uh, the key things and the bonus things about the history, like cocaine, uh, and then finally, you know, a few bits about management, which ones to use when, then you're working at the level of a cardiology approach, which is what they want. I don't know, have you got anything else? No, think? no, um, I, I, you know, I, I agree with that sentiment. Um, yeah, uh, and hopefully this uh, kind of knowledge video has provided you with some of those tidbits, essentially, just to, just to differentiate yourself. Um, and hopefully it's, you, it's given a flavour of what, what you need to know, essentially, uh, for this scenario. Perfect. Uh, great. And so next, we'll, uh, there's, there'll, there'll be some scenarios uh, below for you to look at, so uh, feel free to uh, watch those. Thanks very much, guys.